Yesterday, Jenny went out Christmas shopping all day. So it was me and the kids. All day. And we had to clean our rooms. And we had to clean up the basement. And there was like eight loads of laundry. And Maddie was not being especially cooperative about cleaning parts. And Dad got a little grumpy. Little grumpy. (laughs) There might have been yelling involved. So by the time 7 o'clock hit and Jenny had come home and I had already decided I need to make some changes with my message, I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the church offices. And I pulled out. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Starbucks and I'm going to get a cup of coffee because it's going to be a little bit of a late night. I'm reworking the message. I'm just going to start off right and I'm going to go to Starbucks. So I pull in and the parking lot's empty. I'm like, oh, score. But I was just going to go through the drive-thru. And when I get a little closer, I see that there's 13 cars in the drive-thru lane. You can't even pull into the parking lot by the entrance you normally pull into because they've got it blocked with all of their cars trying to get coffee through the drive-thru. So I'm like, no problem, no problem. Zip around, go in the other way. There might have been some speed involved. I park quickly, get out. The, the whole Starbucks thing is empty. Go up to the, the counter. They look frazzled. There's just two of them. I say, I want a pike black. That's it. And the barista looks up and she says, you're my favorite customer. And then I said, where are your other Starbucks people? Did they abandon you? And the guy's like, yeah, it's just the two of us. The rest of them couldn't take it and they left. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I could do without the coffee, I guess. <laughs> and in the inside, I'm thinking, you need coffee. And so the guy's starting to ring me up. And he goes, you know what? Merry Christmas. It's on me. Ding. I had a smile on my face. And when I got behind the car, I have a digital recorder that's in the cup holder next to me. I had like 10 ideas from Starbucks all the way to the church office. Do you know how many ideas I had from home to Starbucks? Zero. (laughs) There might have been some frustration involved. One little act of kindness. Bing. Changed everything. It was amazing. Two weeks ago, I was meeting Matt Dillon for lunch, but my morning was not going the way I had wanted it to go. And so uh, this lady calls, what was her name? Christy. Christy calls me at 8 o'clock. If somebody calls to the church office, it's one of two things. They either want to sell the church on something or they need something from the church, as in money, usually. Okay, so it's one of two things. So when the phone rings and I see it's not an 800 number, I know which one it is. Hey, hi, this is Max. Yeah, the city of Nicholasville is going to come at 1 o'clock. They're going to turn off my power and I've got two kids. And I'm like... Well, where have you called? Who have you tried? And at that, at that point, it's a Monday morning. Generations had spent its checkbook. Generations didn't have money in the bank until the offering was deposited on Tuesday. I said, I'm sorry, the church has no funds. I mean, we literally can't help you. <sighs> okay, and I suggested a couple of places for her to call. She calls back at 10 o'clock. And I'm like, Ugh. And I'm frustrated. I can't help her. There's nothing I can do. And I'm like, well, how much is the bill again? Da, 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 da. $97. Guess how much money I had in my checkbook? 96. So I'm like, I pray for, that was my mistake right there. I said, well, let me pray for you. And then the sobbing starts after the prayer. Because now, in her mind, somebody actually cares about her as a person and what's going on in her life and the fact that her electric's going to get cut off at one. 
And so I suggest a couple of other places to call. And then she calls back like a half an hour later. And I'm like, you know what? Your bill's $97. I've got 96 in my checking account. But, you know, the extra dollar. She's like, I'll find change from my neighbors. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So Matt knows that, you know, and I was grumpy and crotchety when I went. But the tone in her voice, totally different. I could hear the gratitude. I could hear the sigh of relief. I could feel on, from her coming through the phone, wow, God actually cares about me. See, I've been on the giving end and receiving end of those kind of things. Have you in life? When I was a sophomore in college, I was really struggling with my call, and I was working a labor job uh, that summer between my sophomore and junior year at Wheaton. Uh, I think I was a roofer that summer. And there was a pastor at the Baptist Church of Richmond, Indiana, who met me for lunch twice a week out in one of the parks because that's what I could get to quickly from the job site. Did I mention it was like 95 degrees every day? And this is back when pastors had to wear suits. So he's in polyester, wool suits, dressed to the nines, eating lunch with me twice a week, sweating profusely just to invest in me and encourage me. For him, I'm sure it was like this huge inconvenience for Pastor Raymond. But for me, that summer was everything. Because of what he gave me. Because of his willingness to listen to God. I don't think those events are random incidents. I think they're fingerprints of God at work in the world around us. You know, a couple of days ago, something amazingly horrific happened in the United States in an elementary school in Connecticut. And people started doing the thing that they do in, the, in America. Why? Why? Why did this happen? And, and where's God in all of this? I don't travel a lot globally, but when we get to these moments in America, I got to wonder if the rest of the world peering in to the United States goes, welcome to life. Life has tragedy and pain and grief and sorrow, and it happens every day. We're insulated, aren't we, in America? It's relatively safe. If you're middle class, and most of us, all of us are in this room, our bills are paid. We can go to the doctor when we're sick. We got a place to go to and from work. We probably have more than one computer. And what does the mom in, who's in Sudan think? That she doesn't have enough food to feed all of her kids. And then at night she's worried that the Muslim or Christian men from the neighboring village are going to come and do some killing and raping that night. Or the mom uh, uh, who, and the family that's Coptic and they're in Egypt and they're gathering to worship. And they're wondering and they're paranoid. Is somebody going to find out where we are tonight and throw a bomb in through the window? Not to mention all the stuff that we face here, right? Divorce, death, addictions, mental illness. Does God care? Yeah, actually, he does. This morning, I want to remind you that God cares. At Christmas, of all the seasons we see that God cared enough to act. He became one of us. God cares. Now, there's part of the Christmas story that doesn't get told in Christmas pageants. In fact, we usually don't include it at all. We talk about Mary and Joseph. We talk about the angels. We talk about the shepherds. And we talk about the wise men. And we end the story there. But Jesus' birth precipitated a tragedy. In Matthew chapter 2, we have recorded what happened because of Herod. Herod, if you don't know, was the king of the region. 
And historians all agree this man was mental. He was paranoid. He was so paranoid, he had members of his own family murdered because he was afraid they were going to take his throne. The guy was mental. The wise men who had seen the star announcing the birth of Jesus go into Jerusalem. They see him. They meet him. They're like, hey, we're here to see the king. What? Yeah, you know, the king whose star appeared in the sky. What? Tell me, where is this king that I may worship him? Right? <laughs> and then you hear the... And they say what they know. They go on their way. They give their gifts and God warns them in the dream. Hey, don't go back and talk to Herod. But Herod, being an astute man, figures it out. The kids, the boy's about 18 months old. And so he issues an order. Calls in the soldiers. Go to Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Round up every boy under the age of two and kill them. That's Jesus' birth. Does God care? Did God care then? Yeah, you bet he did. That boy whose life was spared grew up and lived a perfect life and taught us, showed us what love, real love, looks like. Paul summarizes that life in Philippians chapter 2. And that's where we're going to be today. Philippians chapter 2. Paul shows us that God cares and that there's hope. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ shows us about God. And so Philippians chapter 2, the first verse, Paul is priming the pump. And he asks a series of questions. And he says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? In other words, you prayed the prayer. You responded to the gospel. You're brothers and sisters in Christ now. Does that mean anything to you? Are you feeling anything because of it? And if not that, what about me and all of the friendship that we have? Do you feel anything for me? He's priming the pump because he's going to tell him something important. And that's verse, the next number of verses. Verse 2. Then make me truly happy. How? By agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. By loving one another. And by working together with one mind in one purpose. Now, I got to tell you, in the Greco-Roman world... Humility was not a virtue. Humility was considered something of a shortcoming in the ancient world. Being humble got you nowhere. Nobody talked about embrace humility. It was a new thing for Christians to say that kind of stuff. And Paul is saying uh, here in this verse, you guys want to fill my joy quotient to the full? Love one another. Care for one another. Look out for each other's needs. Be 100% together in your purpose. Why? Because if those things aren't true, when you go out telling people the good news about Jesus, do you know what? They're going to look at you and go, huh? When you go out town after town telling your neighbors, if this oneness, if this togetherness, if this love each otherness isn't going on, isn't happening, they're going to look at you like from, you're from Mars. They're not going to believe anything you have to say. It's got to be connected. And then he goes on in verse 5 and he says this, and this is the kicker. You, uh, actually we'll, we'll go to 3 and, uh, yeah, verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He precedes it with this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. 
that kind of attitude is an attitude where I look at you and what you need, not what you want, but what you need is more important than what I need. What I needed on that Monday was to go to lunch with my friend. I didn't need to have to go home and get my stupid checkbook and then drive all the way to the city of Nicholasville to pay somebody's electric bill who couldn't pay it. But then again, if I'm following Jesus, then her need of having her electric cut off at one when I had $96 in my checkbook. See, there's an impact to this faith thing. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And this isn't a kind of a false humility. This isn't a, oh, I'm a worm, I'm imperfect. This is a, I've got what you need in focus. And that's going to clip what I need. And he goes on and he fleshes this out. Well, what does that look like exactly? How do you think like Jesus? How do you see the world the way he did and treat others the way he did? That's verses 6 and following. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Even though he was God, he didn't cling to the privileges and the benefits of being God. Read, he wasn't selfish. He wasn't like Herod. He wasn't like Caesar. He wasn't like all the other kings. No, God is not a selfish being. God doesn't grasp and seize what's in his own benefit. He's self-giving for the sake of others. This God is different. And then the kicker, verse 8, he humbled himself. When he appeared in human form, verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This man who was equal with God, who was equal with God, shows us that God is love. How does he do that? By self-sacrifice, by literally laying down his life for the sake of other people, for the sake of others. Well, Paul says, because of this mindset, something amazing happens. And that's verses 9 and following. Therefore... Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of that mindset, because of that way of loving, God elevated Jesus and put him in the highest position of honor. And the day will come when Adolf Hitler, when Abraham Lincoln, when Madonna, when Richard Dawkins, when your grandfather and my grandfather, when you, me, and everybody look at Jesus and say, yep, Lord, King, God, for good or ill, we will all, everyone will recognize he's the one. As, as the book of Acts puts it, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is why Paul says in this book of Philippians that for him, To live is Christ and die is gain. Because in Jesus Christ, the true nature of the living God is revealed. And that true nature is one of self-giving, of self-sacrifice. A God who does not grasp, a God who is not self-centered, a God who is selfless and who loves. I would say to you, church, that we have settled in America 
for a form of Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the message of Christianity is all about abandoning ourselves. We make life about us, don't we? If I've got to marry the right person, I've got to get the right job, I've got to graduate from the right school, I've got to get all these things in order, I've got to get my house in order, I've got to get my life in order, and, and when I get these things in place, and when I, oh, I'll be satisfied. And the truth of the matter is, none of us are put on this planet for ourselves. We're put here for others. Let me ask some questions in light of this passage. And the first is not, do you care? Because I believe that everybody cares. In the wake of the shooting on Friday, Facebook and Twitter lit up with poems and pictures and let's remember and let's pray for them. I mean, we could probably get a concert together, couldn't we? I mean, everybody cares. That's not the issue. The issue and the question should be, do you care enough to do something? Right? Because if God had looked on this broken world where people had rebelled against him, and if God, looking at the broken world, called the angels and called all the heavenly hosts together and said, hey, everybody, let's pray for them poor people on planet Earth. Mmm, go, oh, please, let's, let's see a little love, you know, let, let's hold hands. And, and what if they had done a concert in heaven? What if all that had transpired and God never came? God never became one of us. Jesus never appeared on the scene. You and I might rightly say to some degree, God doesn't care. No, God does care because God cared enough to do something at great, tremendous cost to himself. In light of that question, I've got some sub-questions. Have you ever emptied your checkbook or bank account for someone in need? And I'm not talking about a family member or a really close friend where there's that, yeah, you probably should anyway, anybody would do that, any friend would do that, any uncle would do that. But have you ever emptied your checkbook or bank account for somebody in need? Have you ever allowed yourself to be inconvenienced by a person who's hungry for some love and acceptance? You know what I'm talking about. They're annoying. They need to get well. They need to see a counselor. You know. Have you ever put your gifts or talents or strengths to use for the advancement of God's kingdom or out in the community to make a difference? to the point that it hurts, to the point that it's inconvenient for you, to the point that you're like, man, this is a lot of time, or this is a lot of energy, or I'm tired, or have you ever gone to that point? In the wake of Friday, politicians are going to propose all these laws. We ought to have gun control. We ought to have this. We ought to have that. Administrators and teachers are going to be like, we need to have better safety procedures. We need to have better screenings. But at the end of the day, what's going to change stuff like that? changed lives. People whose minds and hearts have been transformed by the gospel, who are made new creations, who are adopted sons and daughters of King Jesus. Men and women, boys and girls, who are born again and made new, and who have, as Paul says in Philippians, the same attitude of Christ Jesus and who show it because they care enough 
to do something. So my, my challenge to you and to me is a simple one. We're talking about what it means to live a satisfied life. Here's what I know. Pursuing your own happiness is not going to get you there. You can have the car of your dreams, the house of your dreams, the spouse of your dreams. You can have all your relationships right. Your kids can grow up and make you proud and be doctors or whatever it is that you want them to be. But the factor that will come into play when you're 65 or 70 and you look back at your life and you say, wow, is going to be when you have literally given your life away. That's what causes people to look back and go, wow. I want it to be the case for us as a family of faith that 10 years from now, mark your calendar, it's 2012, by the year 2022, I want it to be the case that in Nicholasville, Kentucky, God forbid, if, if Generations Community Church were to evaporate, people in this city would cry and be heartbroken and be devastated. Why? Because we've given our lives away.